Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. Welcome to the show, everybody. Episode 858 of I Doubt It Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Dollimore, joined today by the lovely, talented, and news-watching Brittany Page. So we're going to do something a little different today because, as everyone knows... The world knows. Yeah, it is the day that Donald Trump was arrested and attended his arraignment and uh, pleaded not guilty to 34 felony counts. And the indictment has been unsealed. There has been a statement of facts posted by the Manhattan DA. So we have all this information that just came out. It it just happened. He is on his way back, I guess, to Mar-a-Lago. Plane in the air. They tracked every millisecond of him going to New York, the motorcade, getting to the... And then they literally, we were watching CNN, his plane in the air like it was a shuttle launch or something. Yeah, the whole coverage of everything has been very strange and there's a lot of body language analysis happening on the news. And (laughs) I mean, like Van Jones was talking about how Donald Trump looked like a... He's a sad granddad today. Oh, he... He's the worst. Van Jones just jumped the shark. Well, I don't know why there's so many people attempting to humanize Donald Trump yeah. and, and talk about how sad he looks and and how he looks like he's really feeling the weight of this moment, someone said. And, I mean, really, if we look at the the, the facts and the patterns that Donald Trump has exhibited his entire life, does he seem like he's ever understood the weight of any moment in his life? Well, unless it's weight that's going to be crashing down on him based on his own actions. I don't like the entire narrative of leaning into not just humanizing him, but making him half-ass seem like a victim. And yeah. if anything, he's a victim of his own behavior. Yeah, and again, I just there's no evidence that he's feeling sad or solemn right. or understanding the weight of the moment. His history shows that he's only been able to escape consequences, feel that he's above consequences, and 
that's what his his history shows. He's certainly not looking sad in this new merch we have. Ooh, going for the hard sell. This episode of I'd Out a Podcast brought to you by New Merch. Yeah, we had, actually a lot of people were asking, are you going to have t-shirts or something made? Mm-hmm. And that is a ham-fisted segue, by the way. Sorry about that, everybody. Um, and so we, we we have this design. It's like a mug shot with, like, the, the height. Somebody already said, yeah, you've made him too tall. But it's, you know, it's not accurate. And it says law and order president above it, his booking date. And it's, uh, we got mugs with the jumpsuit orange mugs for his Mm -hmm. mug shot Mm -hmm. and some t-shirts and a sticker all of it goes to support the show so you get something in in return that's not just the the dulcet uh tones of uh my voice yeah so we said we're doing something different this time because normally and we're putting these on youtube now and some of the youtube comments will say hey love the new format of the show we've been doing for almost 10 years <laughs> um yeah, yeah. but this format is going to be new in that normally we start with like listener communication and we we do have listener communication we're going to get to but we're going to talk about the indictment first yes so i don't know which order you want to go in jesse well, I- if you want to I know you want to talk about Alvin Bragg's statement. Let's go to that next. I think it would be best to kind of give, because there's, first of all, a 16-page, 34-felony count indictment of Donald Trump. And then there's like a 13-page statement of facts. Obviously, we're not going to sit here and read 13 pages, and by we, I mean you, uh, of the statement of fact. But there are a couple of paragraphs that I think are are poignant that we should read, because it with with indictments and i really only know this because of the the federal grand jury on which i i sat um some indictments read very clinical just like they this statute was violated they entered into a conspiracy blah and then some are like uh like a narrative like a story gets told and this indictment isn't um like that it's not like the latter it's more like the former but the statement of facts does go a little bit more in depth about what took place. So let's let's read a couple paragraphs from the statement of fact, and then we'll play uh, for full context the first part of the press conference from Alvin Bragg. So this is the people of the state of New York against Donald J. Trump, defendant. Statement ah. of facts. Introduction. The defendant, Donald J. Trump, repeatedly and fraudulently falsified New York business records to conceal criminal conduct that hid damaging information from the voting public during the 2016 presidential election. From August 2015 to December 2017, the defendant orchestrated a scheme with others to influence the 2016 presidential election by identifying and purchasing negative information about him to suppress its publication and benefit the defendant's electoral prospects. In order to execute the unlawful scheme, the participants violated election laws and made and caused false entries in the business records of various entities in New York. The participants also took steps that mischaracterized, for tax purposes, the true nature of the payments made in furtherance of the scheme. So that is where we are with all of this it is interesting to me and again not a lawyer but have a little bit of experience with this having served for over a year on a federal grand jury and i've seen dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of indictments 
it's strange to me that there isn't a conspiracy charge in here because even the language that's used here, um, that from August 2015 to December 17, the defendant orchestrated a crime with others to influence the 2016 presidential election. That's that's the definition of a conspiracy. You can't conspire with yourself. Like That's why the term co-conspirator always bothered me because conspiracy, the word itself, indicates there's more than one person. You can't conspire with yourself. So if he's orchestrating a scheme with others, that is a conspiracy. Maybe there will be a superseding indictment. Uh, they'll bring the grand jury back in and vote to indict again extra charges on top of this but it's strange i have no opinion on that either way because <laughs> i am just a therapist yeah so i do not but they know. didn't teach you that when you got your master's degree no they, hmm. i know they you must have missed that week in in uh in clinical psychology grad school i know some people would have you believe that like once they get a degree it means they know everything but that's not the case. It's just not, the one little subject. You're not Jordan Peterson. <laughs> it's just the one little subject. <laughs> and I'm certainly not going to opine on things that I don't know about, but also I'm not going to go against like consensus on things. I don't even know what the consensus is right now. Yeah. I think the consensus is that Alvin Bragg is not going to step out of line or ruin his career by bringing charges that he can't ultimately or or pin Donald Trump down on. That seems to be the most logical line of thinking of all of this, is people are saying, I mean, Barney Frank came out and said it was a mistake. Bill Maher, super liberal Bill Maher, oh, this is a mistake, it's not going to work, it's not going to land, nothing's going to happen from this. Alvin Bragg would not put this in motion. 34 felony counts and a single indictment, if it if it was risky, if it was, like, not a slam dunk. Well, let's also say that the people you're talking about were saying that prior to the indictment even being released. So uh, yeah. it certainly doesn't matter what anyone was saying before the indictment was released. And for all the people who were opining prior to the indictment being released, you can maybe just not even go back and see what they think now that it has been released. I'm sure that the indictment being released has not changed Lindsey Graham's mind, for example. He may actually be crying even more now that it has been released. Weird moment on the Fox News, right? I mean... Like, he looked teary-eyed. He probably has other things going on. While rambling off the website, go give the president money, he said. Just... Fucking weird. Seven million dollars since the indictment. They claim, I mean, they'll have to substantiate that, but they also say it's from the vast majority of new donors. People have never been uh, spurred to action to donate to the campaign, which I find a little suspect. Yeah. But let's let's get to this. This is this is a little longer of a clip than we normally play, but I want to give you the, the full context and flavor of really what is happening here from the horse's mouth. Alvin Bragg, the Manhattan district attorney who brought these charges, who impaneled the grand jury, who went through the, the investigatory uh, stages of this of this uh, process, and he lays it all out, and we'll, we'll go to him for the truth of the matter here. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Earlier this afternoon, Donald Trump was arraigned on a New York Supreme Court indictment returned by a Manhattan grand jury on 34 felony counts of falsifying business records in the first degree. Under New York state law, it is a felony to falsify business records with intent to defraud and an intent to conceal another crime. That is exactly what this case is about. 34 false statements made to cover up other crimes. These are felony crimes in New York State, no matter who you are. We cannot and will not normalize serious criminal conduct. The defendant repeatedly made false statements on New York business records. He also caused others to make false statements. The defendant claimed that he was paying Michael Cohen for legal services performed in 2017. This simply was not true. And it was a false statement that the defendant made month after month in 2017. April, May, June, and so on through the rest of the year. For nine straight months, the defendant held documents in his hand containing this key lie, that he was paying Michael Cohen for legal services performed in 2017. And he personally signed checks for payments to Michael Cohen for each of these nine months. In total, the grand jury found there were 34 documents with this critical false statement. Why did Donald Trump repeatedly make these false statements. The evidence will show that he did so to cover up crimes relating to the 2016 election. Donald Trump, executives at the publishing company American Media Incorporated, Mr. Cohen, and others agreed in 2015 to a catch-and-kill scheme. That is, a scheme to buy and suppress negative information to help Mr. Trump's chance of winning the election. As part of this scheme, Donald Trump and others made three payments to people who claimed to have negative information about Mr. Trump. To make these payments, they set up shell companies and they made yet more false statements, including, for example, in AMI, American Media Incorporated's business records. One of the three people that they paid to keep quiet was a woman named Stormy Daniels. Less than two weeks before the presidential election, Michael Cohen 
wired $130,000 to Stormy Daniels' lawyer. That payment was to hide damaging information from the voting public. The participant scheme was illegal. The scheme violated New York election law, which makes it a crime to conspire to promote a candidacy by unlawful means. The $130,000 wire payment exceeded the federal campaign contribution cap. And the false statements in AMI's books violated New York law. That is why Mr. Trump made false statements about his payments to Mr. Cohen. He could not simply say that the payments were a reimbursement for Mr. Cohen's payments to Sandy, to Stormy Daniels. To do so, to make that true statement, would have been to admit a crime. So instead, Mr. Trump said that he was paying Mr. Cohen for fictitious legal services in 2017 to cover up actual crime committed the prior year. And in order to get Michael Cohen his money back, they planned one last false statement. In order to complete the scheme, they planned to mischaracterize the repayments to Mr. Cohen as income to the New York State tax authorities. The conduct I just described, uh, and that which was charged by the grand jury, is felony criminal conduct in New York State. True and accurate business records are important everywhere, to be sure. They are all the more important in Manhattan, the financial center of the world. That is why we have a history in the Manhattan DA's office of vigorously enforcing white-collar crime. My office, including the talented prosecutors you saw at arraignment earlier today, has charged hundreds of felony falsifying business records. This charge, it can be said, is the bread and butter of our white-collar work. And fraud presents itself in all different forms here in Manhattan. We have charged falsifying business records for those who violated federal bank secrecy laws. We have charged falsifying business records for those who were seeking to cover up sex crimes. And we have brought this charge for those who committed tax violations. At its core, This case today is one with allegations like so many of our white collar cases. Allegations that someone lied again and again to protect their interests and evade the laws to which we are all held accountable. As this office has done time and time again, we today uphold our solemn responsibility to ensure that everyone stands equal before the law. No amount of money, and no amount of power changes that enduring American principle. I'll now take questions. It's pretty remarkable to hear him kind of preempting the criticism and trying to get out in front of it by explaining like why someone needs to be held accountable for breaking the law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Republicans are before the indictment even came out, before any of this happened today, they were attacking him. Right. And he's having to explain like, hey. When people when people break the law, they need to be held accountable. Yeah, yeah. Regardless of who they are, regardless of how much power they have, they need to be held accountable. And something else that stood out to me was there was some speculation about what exactly would be in the indictment. Would it extend beyond the hush money payments? And 
No, it is only the hush money payments, specifically on three payments. Go, going back to the thing I was talking about, I, there, there's a couple things I wrote down here. Well, one, about this, the, the going back to your point before I go back to my point, <laughs> <laughs> is about the hush money payments. It's not just Stormy Daniels. The three people they're talking about here are Susan McDougal, which people... Karen. Karen McDougal. Susan McDougal. Oh, that that's the Whitewater with the Clintons is Susan McDougal. <laughs> um, she was another hush. She was like a, a, a penthouse or Playboy centerfold model who he had an affair with like an extended period of time affair where he was like telling her he was going to leave his wife and shit. They paid her off to keep her quiet. But the other one is like a doorman who was spreading a, a a story who knows whether it's correct or not i don't know that donald trump had a child out of wedlock so they got a hold of that guy bought his story made him sign an nda and shut him shut him up mm-hmm. so it does involve not just stormy daniels but two other cases um but going back to the point i wanted to to to, to discuss that i was talking about earlier about the conspiracy and it, i'm surprised there's not a conspiracy he used the word conspire in his six-minute statement so where's the conspiracy charge? He said, it is a crime to conspire to promote a candidacy with illegal means. And then he also used the word planned. They planned false statements. They planned they, meaning more than two, one person, planned, which is a conspiracy. So I would not be surprised. I'm not going to make a prediction about it because who I don't know. But I would not be surprised if there's a superseding indictment and a, a conspiracy charge is added on to this already long list, which I'm reading is likely to just bring him probation mm. because it's 34 of the lowest level felony. But still, felony. You're going to hear Republicans, oh, this is the lowest level felony. This is, I mean, you're already hearing Repu- Republicans say, just bananas things about these charges. Marjorie Taylor Greene, for one, is saying that yeah, lots of people are arrested. It's not a big deal. Donald Trump is is just uh, being included in a long line of noble people who have been arrested like Nelson Mandela and Jesus himself. Literally, that's what she said. So it's, <laughs> it's not making any more sense than you would expect from Republicans, for sure. Yeah, well, and we actually have a news package illustrating how Republicans have responded to this. Now, keep in mind, this was before the indictment was unsealed. Former Vice President Mike Pence, who has been critical of Mr. Trump's role in the January 6th insurrection, said these charges go too far. The unprecedented indictment of a former president of the United States for a campaign finance issue is an outrage. Uh, and I think it's it's clear to the overwhelming majority of the American people that this is nothing short of a of a political prosecution. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis called the indictment un-American. And former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson, who previously said Mr. Trump should drop out of the 2024 race if he was indicted, called the news a dark day for America, adding that while Mr. Trump is presumed innocent, the grand jury found credible facts to support the charges. For his part, Donald Trump spent last night on the phone, shoring up support among Republican allies in Congress. This is legal voodoo. You got a misdemeanor that's been made a felony. Nobody in the history of New York City has ever been prosecuted under this theory except for Donald J. Trump. 
House Speaker Kevin McCarthy accused the Manhattan DA of weaponizing our sacred system of justice and said House Republicans would investigate Alvin Bragg's actions. As for a reaction from the White House, I'm no comment on that. President Biden choosing not to weigh in as he spoke to reporters this morning. The current president opting to stay out of an active criminal matter while focusing on his own agenda. I decided that really my loyalty can no longer be to a man who doesn't deserve it. But the key witness, Michael Cohen, who spent hours testifying to the grand jury in recent weeks and previously pleaded guilty to federal charges connected to the hush money payments, said Mr. Trump is finally being held accountable. He's seething right now. He is beyond angry. He doesn't understand accountability. And right now, Alvin Bragg has finally put that into his lap. A couple of things here. One, again... Uh, Mike Pence and all of these people having zero understanding or knowledge of what was in the indictment that we now know, days after they made these statements, they're saying, oh, it's just campaign finance. Well, it's not just campaign finance. It's falsification of business records. It's for some reason not conspiracy, but they explain it as conspiracy. So it's not, it's not that. The other very weird thing, just bizarre, is that people who are running against Donald Trump for the nomination, for the Republican nomination to be president of the United States, are going to bat for him. They're not utilizing this moment. It tells you what kind of a weird hold, a hypnotic hold over the base that Donald Trump has that all these other candidates are very afraid of pissing the base off by crossing Donald Trump. Any in any other race of any other time, they would be like, "Yeah, he can't be the president. It's got to be me. He's a loser. He's a a criminal. Whatever. He's a he's a liability at the very least." And they're not doing that. Yeah, I think Asa Hutchinson is the candidate that has come the closest to doing that. He's yeah. the governor of Arkansas, former governor. Yeah, used to be a senator. For oh, Arkansas. right. Sir Huckabee Sanders is the current yeah, governor. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he actually announced that he's running for president. We're going to get to that in a little bit. But he is the one who's being the most critical on this issue. Even Mitt Romney came out today, and this is post. Yeah. This is post unsealing of the indictment, and he said Trump's character and conduct make him unfit for office. Even so, I believe the New York prosecutor has stretched to reach felony criminal charges in order to fit a political agenda. Now, Mitt Romney is known for criticizing Donald Trump, yeah. being being one in the Republican Party who can go against Donald Trump, and still we have him saying that this is a stretch. He's still a party guy. He is most assuredly a Republican. I mean, let's, let's not forget that he was the 2012 nominee for the Republican Party to be president of the United States and was wiped out by Obama in the general election. Well, I have to tell you, one of my favorite clips from this weekend was an appearance that Bill Barr made on Fox News uh, (laughs) Sunday with Shannon Bream. And she was asking him, you know, do you think that Donald Trump is like going to take the stand? How would that work? And Bill Barr gave a response that is so remarkable when you think about how Donald Trump is an adult man running for president. Um, I'll ask you what I asked Jim Trusty as well. If the president was your client, would you put him on the stand? Because I got to imagine in any of these cases, if it gets to trial, he's going to want to defend himself. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I'm not his lawyer. Uh, 
you know, generally, I think it's a bad idea to go on the stand. And I think it's particularly a bad idea for Trump because he lacks all self-control. And uh, it'd be very difficult to prepare him and, and keep him uh, testifying in a prudent fashion. Okay, let me ask you about this back and forth. Love to have presidents that are described as having no self-control. That's right. great. That's a good thing. And still, Bill Barr, who is critical of Donald Trump, is defending Donald Trump in this case. Another one who knows very well how the indictment process works, knows very well how the grand jury system works. He's commenting on the case before he has any idea what's in what was until just minutes ago a sealed indictment. No one knew except for the grand jurors and the prosecutors. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, so it it has been an interesting day. It is, you know, I think a lot of people never thought this day would come, that Donald Trump would evade consequences for the rest of his life. And, I mean, maybe it's an opportunity for you, Jesse D., to toot your own horn, as you love to do, because (laughs) I know that especially... (laughs) There we go. Especially... Especially with your YouTube audience, there was a lot of criticism whenever you would talk about um, progress in these various investigations of Donald Trump. And people would say, you know what? I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. I'll believe it when I see it. Well, those were the, the ones who were gracious enough to be open to that. If it happened, they'll believe it or whatever. A lot of people were just like calling me a fucking idiot in, in voicemails or in just straight up YouTube comments. Really being aggressive. People who consider themselves liberals or Democrats and... You know, I I was never that cynical about it, but my position did start to shift based on new information, like everyone's should. <laughs> and uh, here we are. And, and I do believe this will be, like, now the hurdle's over. Now we, it's not that no president has ever been indicted for a crime before. Oh, <laughs> now it's like, oh, yeah, well, it's Donald Trump. We someone could Fonnie Willis in the the Fulton County DA's office. She can do it. The federal prosecutors they can do it. And we're learning now that the federal prosecutors, it seems like they're wrapping up that that um, Jack Smith is wrapping up that investigation. And we may see some some movement there too soon. So yeah, all, all good news. Yeah. So that is is the indictment news. And I guess we will look forward to what Donald Trump has to say at Mar-a-Lago. I do want to say that there were hardly any protesters on his side at the courthouse. Like, I think a lot of people were expecting chaos and like another January 6th. And that just did not happen. It was another situation where there were way more journalists than there were people in support or even in opposition to Donald Trump. It was just a a scrum of journalists. Yeah. I wonder if that's just because people don't care enough. I mean, I wonder what's I wonder what's happening. I mean, that. I think it's partly because it's New York City and he's mm-hmm. reviled in New York City. <laughs> and they're trying to have the the venue moved to Staten Island because that's, you know, he won Staten Island. That's it's fucking Staten Island, you know. It's different. It's like the Kentucky of New York City. It's mm. or, you know, it's the 909. 
Okay. For those in Southern California. It's the Inland Empire of, of New York City. Yes. As I piss off all kinds of people geographically all across the country in the audience. All right. So... <laughs> Since we're doing things out of order, we are going to take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters right now. Before we thank people and say their names, we want to say the primary benefit of Patreon, there are many, but the primary benefit is that you get access to the ad-free episode of I Doubt It Podcast. And that isn't just in the form of the post that is is on Patreon every episode where it says ad-free and it's like a new post. You get access to the RSS feed that you can copy the RSS link, the ad-free yeah. link, into whatever podcatcher you use so that you can still listen in whatever podcatcher you prefer to listen but you just don't hear the ads. So that's a nice perk that people have really been enjoying. So if you're interested in that, you can check out our podcast, our Patreon at patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast. Now to thank the new Patreon supporters, Benjamin F. Benjamin F. Nature of my circuitry. Nature of my circuitry. I should have said it like a robot. <laughs> Andrew B. Andrew B. Now we want to we want to take a second to really thank Andrew B. We don't want to say what level that Andrew B. joined at, but it was a significant amount, substantial. And uh, Andrew B. wrote a message that we that we could read on air. I am sponsoring Brittany and Jesse because of their support of trans rights as human rights. I also tend to agree with nearly one hundred percent of their positions scary this is true especially <laughs> on the issues of gun control and standing up to the right wing i want to touch on what you just said it's scary i want everyone watching this listening to this to think to themselves okay i like jesse and Brittany because i agree with them most of the time well what's gonna happen when you don't yeah and that's gonna happen and it's gonna happen <laughs> And listen, I listen to podcasts where I don't agree with everything that people say, but generally I've tried to find people that I think are good people, that I respect. And so if they're wrong, sometimes they're wrong sometimes. Or if I disagree with them, I disagree with them. As long as they're not being dicks or hurting people. If their heart is in the right place and they're they're, they're coming at it from an honest place, you know, they're not being malicious. And that's us. That is us. Yes, yes. So thank Whether you. you believe it or not. Thank you, Andrew B. <laughs> uh, Susanna I. Susanna I. Susanna, longtime commenter. I see a lot of comments from Susanna on the YouTube, everywhere. So thank you for your support, Susanna. We have Carmel1059. Carmel1059. So this is an email, so I'm just going to say T. An email that starts with T. Yes. <laughs> Joshua W. Joshua W. And Pamela C. Pamela C. And then we want to give a special shout out to two existing Patreon supporters who have increased their pledge, and that is Bruce A.R. Bruce A.R. And John P. John P. Thank you very much, everyone. All of you, you mean the world to us. We are uh, very appreciative of your support, your loyalty, your listenership, and your passion for making the country and our world, by extension of the country, a better place. Uh, again, patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast. All right, now let's let's get to some listener communication. Uh, I think we have an email. I know we have a voicemail. Uh, where should we go first? Let's do the email first. All right. So this email is from Zach. Zach writes, Hi, Jesse. Hi, Brittany. I can't say I was happy to hear the interview with Ryan Bell on the most recent podcast. 
Parenthetically, I am still practicing Christian who is angry and embarrassed to be associated with the vast majority of people that are currently calling themselves the same. But I can say I am really glad to have heard him talk about where he is now and how he got there. I also went through a significant time of critical examination, re my faith, and although we reached different end conclusions, I would rather see someone ask questions and arrive at an opposite position deliberately rather than just following along without a single serious thought. It was interesting to hear even if it was not precisely comfortable listening. Also, for the record, Christian nationalism is bullshit. I don't want anyone's interpretation of the Bible influencing the government, including mine. And anyone actually reading the Bible knows that Christians have a, have a personal obligation to fight for gay and trans rights, abortion rights, racial equity, etc. We literally have parables in there about wage equality and police brutality. Anyway, love the show. Keep up the great work. Brittany, keep being awesome and low-key snarky. Jesse, keep telling people to fuck right off. Zach. Well, fuck straight off, Zach. Um. <laughs> so I want to. I wanted to read this because we actually got... Like an angry email about the Ryan Bell episode. Yeah, from someone who didn't even listen to it. And, oh, that's right. And they said that they are frustrated that we're putting out content that is trying to deconvert Christians. And again, they didn't listen to it. And the the reason I like this email is because Zach is a Christian, identifies as a Christian, and enjoyed the episode because we're not trying to deconvert people from Christianity. In fact, we went out of our way to say, and we're all in agreement, that if faith is something that is important to you and you are not using it as a tool to oppress or hurt other people— then absolutely please do what you're doing. And Ryan talked about people who struggle with addiction that find value in faith, find value in religion, um, and even beyond that, people find that it is motivating, that it helps them get out of bed, that it gives them purpose, and that's great. Why would we want to take that away from anyone? Yeah, I I read a comment. I think I may even replied to the comment. Sometimes I, like... I ruminate, like, ah, I'm going to reply to that comment, and then I don't, but then I think in my memory that I did. So I maybe I didn't, but there was a comment about, I didn't know you were an angry atheist, Jesse. It's like, it, what, where, where did you get that at all, that I'm angry atheist guy at all? It's just, it's detached from, you know, the reality of the situation. So it was a very kind email. Thank you, Zach. Yeah, Zach. I also want to, for listeners who have been following the saga of Ray, Ray, our longtime listener, and uh, he wrote in an email with a subject line, you know, the show lately or something, unhappy with us. His first email. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Talking about um, our our conversations about trans rights, and he's kind of struggling a little bit with being fully on board. And so we've been having like this ongoing conversation across multiple episodes the past few weeks. And also other listeners opining on how we reacted to him. We got tone checked. Other people said that we treated him very well. So there's other voices intermingled in with the conversation between the bizarre, you know, podcast email back and forth between Ray and us. <laughs> yes. And Ray actually wrote us back. So in the midst of people being upset with how we treated Ray, <laughs> yeah. Ray wrote us back and in the subject line it says how I feel about the show part 2. It's not a bad one. And we're not going to read it cuz it's long and it's kind of continuing things that we've we've already talked about, but 
he's, you know, he tells us that he loves us, that he values the show, he's going to keep listening. He's still struggling with a few things, but he ends it saying, <laughs> not sure if you guys win podcast of the year, though. <laughs> well, th- th- they're, 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 that's so very... he's, he's still kind of holding it against us. Well, I guess Ray can fuck straight off then because we <laughs> are the podcast of the year every year. Uh, let me say this, Ray. Uh, we are going to address the things that you mentioned about uh, uh, the trans sports issue. We That's not something we're ignoring at all. It's just in the free-flowing, freewheeling format that we have here. We, when we start addressing something, you know, we, we don't have like an outline that we're following when we answer an email. So we for sure are going to talk about that. In fact, maybe in a subsequent episode, we'll read the entire email or those related portions and, you know, talk about that. Okay. I wasn't planning on... Well, maybe we'll see what happens. I mean, Ray, he gets it. He fuck, we, fuck we, right yeah, off. we all get it at this point. <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll do That's that. prick shit, bro. That's prick shit. Okay, well, we do love to play criticism, and we got a, a voicemail here from someone who didn't leave their name, so anonymous, um, criticizing our take on guns on our previous episode. Hey, Jesse. Hey, Brittany. I just listened to your most recent episode, and I have some severe contention regarding the AR-15. Jesse, you are a Marine. You were in the military. That little bullet is the size of a twenty-two. Yes, it has much more powder behind it. It has much more fire to it, but it is not singularly a weapon of war. These things were designed to be hunting rifles. These were designed to be game rifles, to be rifles that are used for sport and recreation. The military, as you know, goes through and does the cheapest, the lowest bidder type product. It made me very, very upset that you, of all people, would say that this is a weapon of war. It's not. I own an AR-15. I own multiple firearms. And I'm sorry, but this 223 or 556, when you compare it to a 9mm, is tiny. A, a guy or gal or whatever's in between could come in there with a 30-06 single action or a 30-06 lever action or a 30-06 semi-auto and shoot up a place just as much. The demonization of the AR-15 needs to fucking stop. It needs to fucking stop. I enjoy my platform. You know what I shoot with it? I shoot bowling ball pins. I, I take down old records that are too far beyond being fixed. I have it in my home for self-defense. Otherwise, I just go out and have fun with it. No, this weapon does not need to be banned. If you're going to ban the AR-15, you're going to ban the 22 long rifle. You're going to ban the 30 6 the 30-30. You're going to ban the 243. No. No, I, I, I love you and Brittany both. I'm going to continue subscribing and, and contributing to your Patreon. But no. No, I will not stand for what you're saying. Because what you're saying is flat fucking wrong. 
I love you both. I truly, truly do. I'm glad to hear Sweepy's doing well, and I have cats that are very finicky about food and water as well. Anywho, I do truly love you. Ah, cut off by Google. Oh, well, at least it ended on a positive note. Yeah. <laughs> I want to talk about, before we respond to this, there's a, a term that I recently learned called audience capture, where you you know start a podcast or you start a show, something like this, yeah. and you start to figure out what your audience wants to hear yeah. based on their response to you, and then you start giving them that. Like, you become what your audience wanted from you. Yeah. Based on criticism that you get or praise that you get. You start adjusting your opinions in order to retain a larger audience that's drawn to you. That ain't us. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice if it was? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> um, because we don't agree. We don't agree with this. And partly why I don't agree with this is based on the actual history of the AR-15, which... I want to read a little bit from this recent Washington Post article that they did like a, you know, several part series on the AR-15 that talks about the history. Yeah, yeah. And it, reading from the article now, the rugged, powerful weapon was originally designed as a soldier's rifle in the late 1950s. Uh, an outstanding weapon with phenomenal lethality, an internal Pentagon report raved. It soon became the standard issue for U.S. troops in the Vietnam War, where the weapon earned a new name, the M16. But few gunmakers saw a semi-automatic version of this rifle, with its shrouded barrel, pistol grip, and jutting ammunition magazine, as a product for ordinary people. It didn't seem suited for hunting, it seemed like overkill for home defense, Gun executives doubted many buyers would want to spend their money on one. And in fact, it wasn't popular for a long time. That's right. Because it is a weapon of war. Maybe, (laughs) maybe until the assault weapons ban, then it became, it was like just very popular and sought after. And then once the, 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 the ban, it was one of those deals where you, you know, the war on drugs makes, you know, drugs, ah, they're in demand. Maybe one of those deals. I don't know. But what what the caller's saying is he's saying so forcefully that we're just wrong on this. But you you got a litany of things verifiably incorrect. It wasn't designed as a hunting rifle or a sporting rifle. It was designed by Armalite as a weapon of war for the military. And it was immediately... Ado- not immediately adopted, but it was adopted by the military as the M16A1 during Vietnam, which was a fully automatic M16, which was the AR-15. Subsequent studies proved out that and full, a fully automatic weapon that is a, a you know a small arms, not a crew served tripod mounted weapon, is wildly inaccurate. You waste ammunition and you don't eliminate the targets. You are firing upon. So they revised the weapon. They took away fully automatic, and now it is semi-automatic. So you pull the trigger, you get around. Pull the trigger, you get around. You pull the trigger, you get around. And three-round burst. Da-da-da! Da-da-da! So it's hard to take all of the, the passion that you bring to your call when your fundamental premise is factually, historically, 
wildly incorrect. It's the opposite of what the facts are about the AR-15. Yeah. And one more thing, and that is to say, I mean, it borders on propaganda to say, oh, the round is no bigger than a twenty-two or whatever specific language you used. The round may be small, but it does more damage than a .30-06. Just because the round is larger, the way that it tumbles, the way that it it, it destroys tissue, the way that it's designed to create mass casualty damage inside a human body, unlike a 9mm. A nine milli. I assume you're talking about a pistol, which is maybe one of the largest mistakes the military has ever made on a grand scale, which is adopting the nine millimeter over the forty-five. Now, this isn't a gun podcast, but thank God, <laughs> no kidding. But listen, it, it is it is what it is. What I said is fact. What I said is true. Nothing I said was even colored with a little misinformation. But ev- almost everything you said, other than how you use the weapon, was wrong. It's just wrong. And I would hope, I really would hope, that you would go back and adjust the way you think about things based on this new information or new information to you. Because you're, you're incorrect about the things you're asserting about this weapon of war. And there are two resources, and in fact, we'll put them in the description of this episode, because NPR has an article from 2018 that is a brief history of the AR-15, and of course, the Washington Post just did this this series on, on the AR-15. And 10 of the 17 deadliest mass shootings in the United States since 2012 have involved AR-15s. Yeah. Las Vegas is the the most deadly, where 60 people were killed. Um, Newtown is is up there with 27. Yeah. So, and that's also in that article if you're interested in going to look at those. But what really stood out to me about this article is the section where it talks about the damage to the human body. And we talked about it on the, on the last episode a little bit. But... Um, In the Washington Post article, they do a 3D diagram. It's not like a realistic human diagram, but they do two two diagrams of two kids that were killed. One from Sandy Hook, I believe, Mm -hmm. and one from Parkland. And the parents consented to have the models show where the kids were shot in, in, in all the different places that they were shot. And, um... I'm trying not to get emotional as I talk about it because after I read it, I kind of just sat at my computer and cried for five minutes. But if you are someone who believes that your right to shoot bowling pins um, takes precedence over all of our safety and how dozens of people are killed by AR-15s and how there's been more mass shootings this year than days in the year... Um, I'm just really starting to struggle with that. And I understand that I don't know about guns. I know nothing about them. I haven't shot one since I was a teenager. And that was like at a little fake cop camp for a week when I thought I wanted to be a cop. (laughs) (laughs) And I wasn't interested in doing it then. Frankly, I'm not interested in it at all. So I, I understand that like this is a hobby for people. Right. And it's not for me. And so I don't get it. And 
maybe my opinion should matter less because of that. I don't know. But what I do know is at the end of this Washington Post article, they tell you how long you've been on the page. And then they choose a shooting. It's random because every time I go back, it's different. And it says, you've been on this page for four minutes and 20 seconds. That's how long I've had this open. And it says it took approximately five minutes for the shooter to kill five people and injure at least 18 at a Colorado Springs gay bar. So it chooses how long you've been on the page and it tells you how many people were killed in that amount of time and how many people were hurt. Yeah. And I mean, this makes it real for you, you know? Well, it should. It certainly should. Listen, this this is, and, and we'll wrap this, and we would invite uh, everybody to, to get involved here. I'll just drop the number, 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone or, or just a regular old email. Uh, I doubt it at dollamore.com. I would say this, that when we create policy in this country, what we want, what we want to do is create the, the greatest... We want to decrease harm and increase human flourishing. We don't want to stifle people's rights unless there's due cause for it. And if you believe you have an absolute right to what is absolutely without question a weapon of war because you want to hit some tin cans with it, or in this uh, caller's case, some bowling pins, and you believe that you're fine because you're you're healthy and you're mentally um, uh, acute and you're not at risk of shooting up a school, awesome. And I believe you. When, when the caller says he just uses it for that, I think that the, the, the chances of him becoming a criminal and taking the lives of someone else with this weapon illegally is astronomically small. Yeah, I believe that. But if you have access to the weapon, others have just as easy access to the weapon. And then what happens when they have the access? 29, 27, mostly children in Newtown, dead. 17 or 19 in Parkland. 60 human beings murdered in Las Vegas. Your hobby does not take precedence over the lives of dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of children. It just does not. So get the facts correct, first of all, because it was designed to be a weapon of war and it is sold as a weapon of war. It, it just is. And all this other obfuscating nonsense about the size of the round and the, 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 the grain of the... It just... It is what it is. Facts matter. Can we also talk about how many of these guns are out there? Um, there's an estimate in this Washington Post article about one in 20 United States adults or roughly 16 million people own at least one AR-15. Yeah. Look, look, and again, I, I shouldn't have to qualify it constantly. I'm not against private ownership of, of, of weapons. I'm a proponent of the Second Amendment. But just like you don't have an absolute right to free speech... Even Scalia said, you don't have an absolute right to own any weapon under the sun. You just don't. No one would argue that you should have a, be able to have a tactical nuclear weapon in your, in your arsenal at home, in your gun safe at home. Why is that? The, the possibility of mass casualty. The Second Amendment is not absolute. The First Amendment is not absolute. 
We have to create policy for the greater good of everyone. And right now, the greater good speaks to me and my heart that the lives of children, that we want to lessen the size of the mountain of dead kids. And that's more important to me than whether you get to shoot bowling pins. We do appreciate your call, though. Absolutely. And I appreciate the caller getting fired up, too, dropping some F-bombs yeah. at us. We like that, especially because we get we get tone-checked at times for the way that we take disagreements. Yeah. And I, I think that these are important conversations to have. These are the conversations that we need to be having, and they're going to be uncomfortable, and we are okay in that discomfort. We are okay having people call and challenge us and say we're wrong about stuff. I think that we're not participating in audience capture. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, well, we, and we also try to have these important conversations and and maybe model that it's okay if they get a little fiery and heated. I mean, just like with Ray, people thought we were so mean to Ray. Ray's fine. Right. Ray's fine. Ray's an adult. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he's making jokes about, yeah. And so is the caller, I'm sure. So everyone's fine. We're all adults. We can handle some disagreements and we can handle some naughty words being dropped during this disagreement. It's okay. But listen, caller. Seriously, please do this for me. If you do love me and Brittany and you enjoy the show, do a little research on the history of the AR-15 and correct whatever misinformation that that is in your head about its development, about the patents that got shifted off to Colt. I know the history of the weapon. I'm not just some fucking rube, some, you know, the the, the stereotypical liberal that the conservatives like to talk about that thinks AR stands for assault rifle. I don't think that. I have many, I have logged many, 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 many minutes of hours of time with an M16A2 service rifle. A lot of time. I'm not a noob. I'm not a rube about this. Probably about a million other things, but not about this. I am, and I have a distinct memory of being, again, at that little cop camp that I did. It wasn't a little cop camp. It was the Idaho Post Academy for Kids. Yeah, so the little cop camp. And <laughs> I I was, I remember shooting, and they, like, stopped everything and came over to me and, like, had to help me because I yeah. was a danger to everyone around me. I don't know what I was doing, but they were like, oh, my God. Yeah, you were live rounds on the range. And they're like, cease fire, cease yeah. fire. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a good time. Uh, Didn't cool. work out, though. The, yeah. the thin blue line was not for me. So, anyway, thank you, caller, very much. We want to hear from you, um, 657-464-464. 7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. I feel like this breaking news with the indictment has us all over the place. We're ending the show with listener communication, but we're not ending the show because we have so many more clips to get to. Well, here's what I want to do I want to amend what we got going on here. I want to go to asshole of today and then finish with taking care of biz. And we can either carry over these other topics to the next show. Or just eh, not talk about it. Okay. (laughs) Let's do it. So let's go straight on to asshole of today. It's the asshole of today. Howard Schultz. 
former, he just stepped down to CEO, but he's the founder and former CEO of Starbucks. Yes. So the he, world's greatest coffee. So he <laughs> he was before Congress this past week and talking a lot about the company's efforts to interfere with unions and treatment of employees. And there was this moment that that just fits perfectly with one of the themes that we really try to reinforce on this show, which is that poverty is a public policy choice that people benefit from public policy they benefit from luck and that we need to be giving more credit to those types of things the lucky circumstances that help us become who and what we are and Howard Schultz gave uh, a little spiel he got frustrated he's like oh people keep calling me a billionaire and it's so upsetting (laughs) the billionaire is upset about being called a billionaire Yes, and what I want you to really hone in on here is he's going to talk about his life and how he came to be a billionaire, and he's going to talk about something, a policy, a policy that would seem relevant, and then just a few sentences later, he's going to discount it, and let's, let's see it in action. I've been listening really closely to you today, and um, um, I also come from the private sector, um, had my own company at one time before I moved into the, into the public sector, and I've been really struck by your focus on what an excellent company you are. Um, and honestly, it sounds as if you are personally offended or even insulted that anyone would question you or your company, and it seems as if you feel that only bad companies should be unionized, that there's something nefarious about a company that is done something bad and therefore they need to be unionized and that Starbucks doesn't need a union because you are a good company. But I think, Mr. Schultz, that is not your decision to make. And I believe that there is an inherent value in coming together to organize that would address this imbalance of power that I think the many, many Starbucks Partners sitting behind you and in Minnesota feel. I mean, you're a billionaire and they are your employees. The imbalance of power is extreme. And that is why people want to come together to form a union. Senator, I agree with you that I do not have the right to decide who can vote for a union or not. But I am the chairman. I I am the CEO of the company and or I, I was the CEO of the company. And I have the preference and the right to communicate to our people about what it is we believe is right for Starbucks. And I want to repeat, 99% of the 250,000 want a direct relationship with the company. The last thing you said, and it's been said many times by the chairman, I just want to make a point of that. This this monarch of billionaire, let's just get get at that, okay? I grew up in federally subsidized housing. Let me finish. I grew up in federally subsidized housing. My parents never owned a home. I came from nothing. I thought my entire life was based on the achievement of the American dream. Yes, I have billions of dollars. I earned it. No one gave it to me. And I've shared it constantly with the people of Starbucks. And so anyone who keeps labeling this billionaire thing, it's Mr. Schultz, I, I don't mean to cut you off. We have time limits here, and you have well, the I opportunity. Think, I, I'm not cutting no, you it's, off. It's your, it's your moniker constantly. It's unfair. It's unfair. It's not unfair. It's what you are. You're and, a billionaire, dude. And you just, I mean, at the same time, he's like uh, proud of it. He says that he earned it. He says that he grew up in subsidized housing. He's talking about a policy that helped him, that helped his right. family, that helped him get 
a leg up in society based on the station that he was born. While he talks about bootstrapping himself. Well, and it's also, it's ridiculous to say that he earned a billion dollars. I mean, you earned that by like exploiting workers who work under you. And And still, even these workers now in the situation where they're in unions, they're not allowed to enjoy tips that are given. He's exploitative, without fucking doubt. Yeah, I mean, you can get a job, and you can work your entire life, and you will never have have a billion dollars. And so to say that he earned it is... It uh, rings hollow because there's a lot of people out there earning their money, and they will never, right? They will never see that level of well. It, what it also is, I think, very gross because you and I both grew up on public assistance. Um, he grew up in public housing where the taxpayers rallied together to give his family a hand up to help them out, and he discounts it as though I did this. I'm I'm solely, I worked really hard and I achieved the American dream. It's me, it's me, it's me. We helped you, dude. We helped you. Yeah. It's, he's a dick face. For a long time, he's been, when he ran for president in 2020, I was opposed to his candidacy because he is just this guy. Yeah, I mean, we say it all the time. We need to elevate people to positions of power who are able to recognize their luck, who yeah. give credit to other people who have helped them, who who recognize the role of policy in helping to shape and inform where they've been able to reach in, in their life. And anyone who says, I did it myself, I earned this, you know, there's something unique and special about me that allowed me to be a billionaire. Yeah. You know, that is a red flag, <laughs> a tremendous red flag. Well, think about it from the, I mean, I, this is more for the audience's edification, but I mean, because we talk about this all the time. It's at the front of our minds constantly. Where would we be without having had free lunch in high school or food stamps or be straight up on welfare and getting a check? My life would be markedly different. It would be vastly different than it is now hadn't I been fed by the people, by Mm -hmm. by the, the, the social safety net that we have in this country that's not robust enough. Where would I be? I don't know. Right. But it's not because, I mean, it's not solely because of my hard work that I'm here. There is a lot of luck that went into the Jesse that appears before you. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yes. A lot of luck. And some of that can be chalked up to the geography of my birth and the social social system that we have in this country um, as inefficient and uh, insignificant as... uh, non-robust as it is mm-hmm. so uh, we'd love to know what you think are you a Howard Schultz stan oh we, we we actually don't really want to hear from you but you know hey we want to hear from everybody everybody 657-464-7609 of course you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com Taking care of biz. Hmm. I guess it's the FDA, maybe? I, the Food and Drug Administration is I, taking care of biz? Well, yeah, I mean, so... The That's F- okay. Well, the FDA approved Narcan to be over-the-counter. Narcan oh. is the brand name of Naloxone, which is the 
the medication that is used to reverse opioid overdoses. Mm. And they have it in the form of the nasal spray and the injection. But I think it is only the nasal spray that is approved for over-the-counter sales. Now, you used to have to get a prescription. Mm-hmm. And and that meant either like getting a prescription from a doctor or you could go to a pharmacy and have the pharmacist write the prescription. So now that is eliminated as a barrier, which is a good thing. There are still barriers, unfortunately. Like, this doesn't make it free. Yeah. Um, and it is still cost prohibitive and there aren't yet solutions for that. But let's focus on the positive because this is taking care of biz. <laughs> it has been approved for over-the-counter sales. A life-saving move from the FDA. For the first time in history, the FDA has approved an over-the-counter version of Narcan. The Food and Drug Administration announcing the approval of an over-the-counter version of Naloxone, commonly known as Narcan, making it easier for anyone to buy it at a local pharmacy and have it on hand. If administered quickly after an opioid overdose, Narcan can be the difference between life and death. Like what happened with this one-year-old girl in Alabama. She overdosed after eating one of her mother's pills. But after a police officer gave her Narcan, she was conscious again. Come on, baby. She survived, but others without access to Narcan might not. Drug overdoses are the leading cause of accidental deaths in America, killing more than 107,000 people in 2021, according to the CDC. More than 80,000 of those deaths involved opioids. And overdoses among teens aged 14 to 18 now reaching a record high, surging 133% in just two years. Some schools now even installing Narcan kits in hallways. We are going all hands on deck because it's such a prominent drug throughout our community. At least 20 states are now allowing schools to stock naloxone, training staff and sometimes even students on how to use it. Right now, the average price of a two-dose box of prescription Narcan is around $130, according to GoodRx. So for Americans who might now want to have Narcan on hand, one important question remains. Will they be able to afford this life-saving medication? And Joe, you never know when you're going to need this medication, but if you do have it on hand, it will be life-saving. And so thankfully, it's going to be over-the-counter, but the manufacturers say it won't be over-the-counter until later this summer. So this is another example of what we were just talking about, about having policies in the United States and you know wherever you live that encourages maximum human, human flourishing and discourages suffering and this is one of those policies absolutely especially in the context which you heard in that clip where overdose overdose deaths have exceeded 100,000 annually for the past two years yeah, yeah, yeah. so it it is very important and in fact according to the cdc in 2021 bystanders were present for 46 percent of fatal opioid overdoses yeah. so if they had been carrying naloxone narcan they could have reversed it and this really is a miracle drug. I mean, you use it and someone can be revived within minutes. Yeah, and it doesn't, to dispel any conservative thinkers out there that think that, that well, what about chances for abuse? It's it's not something you can get high on. It just reverses the effects or the receptors or there's some 
high-level science going on where it blocks the opioid from having the impact on your brain and, and suppressing your respiratory system and everything else. It's just, it is, you know, I, we don't like to use that word miracle drug, but colloquially speaking, it's a miracle drug. Well, people should think of it like an EpiPen for allergies yes. or like an inhaler yeah. for asthma. That's really the way that you should think about this. And if you use drugs, if you are around people who use drugs, you should have it. I yeah. mean, it's a, it's a good thing to have. They should have it in schools. They should have it everywhere. Like they're talking about in that news package, they should train teachers to use it. I mean, there's no downside for people having this because if you do use it on someone who didn't use an opioid, they're not going to be harmed by it. Yeah. So it's really important to have. I, I carry it. In fact, we were at a gathering last year where someone took a substance and they were uh, having a, a rough time. And I went over to them and I just like confirmed that it was not opioids Yeah. because I was ready to, you know, Narcan them. <laughs> <laughs> And it was not op- opioids, so I didn't need to use it. But it's good to have on yeah. hand if you're going to be at a party or a gathering or something like that. And we've actually heard from listeners who, after we've talked about Narcan, have gone out to get Narcan and have actually used it to revive people. Very so, useful. Good on the FDA. Yeah. Yes. Um, a, a one step forward toward a betterment of, for all of us. Yes. Uh, we'd love to know what you think. Again, 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it. At dollamore.com. One way that you could, well, two ways you could support the show. One is patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast. Pick your tier, help support the show, join the Patreon family. That would be fantastic. The other way is to pick up some of this law and order president uh, Donald Trump mugshot mugs or t shirt or sticker. You can go to dollamore.info or click the link in the description, click the link in the show notes and check it out. Get it a com- commemorative tea yeah, or a mug. I mean, it really is. We didn't really talk about it earlier, but it's more, it's a fun, funny commemoration of justice in America. Anyway, we love you guys. We appreciate you very much. And we will see you next time. Uh, until we do, for Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollimore, and this has been I Doubt It. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. 